Hey, before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone to, if you haven't already, fill out the end-of-season survey, which you can find in the description for this episode. Now, on to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Alternate History Class. My name's Andrew and here we explore alternate history through the lens of a history class from another timeline. This week, to begin Season 2, we'll be taking a look at the Battle of Waterloo and see how it would shape the face of Europe for nearly a century. Before we dive into Waterloo itself, let's do some background on why it happened in the first place. The French Revolution was, to put it lightly, a major shakeup to how France was run for centuries. It overthrew a bloated and opulent ruling class and allowed for greater freedom for the everyday Frenchmen. But with that freedom also came chaos. Externally, the monarchies of Europe didn't like the French overthrowing and beheading the monarch, fearing it would have set a precedent for their own people. This would lead to hostile relations between France and the rest of Europe, and eventually war between France and, well, basically the rest of Europe. Internally, the government was unstable and came under the sway of radicals that wanted to purge the country of anyone who was quote-unquote not revolutionary enough. Eventually, the radicals were taken out of power by their own radicalism, turning everyone else in the government against them. But the country was still being run into the ground, and, in a const- and the nation was still in a constant state of war. But one man was rising to prominence during these wars, a young Corsican general named Napoleon Bonaparte. He first came to prominence recapturing Toulon from a British force in December of 1793. But after he dispersed of a royal insurgency in Paris of 1795, he became a hero and national celebrity in the French Republic. He then further raised his name and profile when he took his army of Italy and marched on the forces of Sardinia and Austria in northern Italy. This campaign would be an overwhelming success and lead to the defeat of Sardinia, the taking of Austrian holdings in Italy, and eventually a strike at the heartland of the Habsburgs in Austria, leading to the Austrians suing for peace. After a side quest in Egypt that saw some minor victories, but overall his defeat, Napoleon would take part in a coup in 1799, that replaced the government with a set of three consuls, of which he made himself the first consul. 
in 1800, a victory at the Battle of Marginaux would bring an end to the war of the First Coalition. Peace would only last for three years, however, as the British, and especially the British royal family, hated Napoleon, and war against Britain would resume in 1803. The next year, Napoleon would crown himself Emperor of the French and do away with the charade of sharing power. In 1805, he'd become King of Italy, defeat a third coalition, and two years later, defeat a fourth. At that time, he was essentially the ruler of continental Europe through a series of puppets and alliances. This would be the peak of his power. Napoleon's fall would happen after a pair of crucial mistakes weakened his position as the hegemon of power in Europe. The first would be a pair of wars in the Iberian Peninsula due to Portugal violating the continental system, a trade system Napoleon was trying to enforce to economically pressure the British to end the war. The second would be a war primarily against Spanish guerrillas as well as the British after Napoleon tried to install his older brother Joseph as the king of Spain. This war would drain the French manpower. However, Napoleon's biggest and most infamous mistake would be his invasion of Russia in 1812. It was triggered when Napoleon heard Russia was both violating the continental system and planning an invasion of the French puppet in Poland. While Napoleon would take Moscow, the Russian scorched earth policy and refusal to surrender would force the emperor of the French to retreat, and General Winter, the great ally of Russia, would make this retreat devastating. Over the course of the campaign, the invading force would suffer half a million casualties. This would lead to the forming of the Sixth Coalition, which would be the one that was finally able to defeat Napoleon as his hold over Europe slowly degraded over the next year and a half. Napoleon was forced to abdicate, and the coalition decided to restore the French Bourbons, who had been overthrown at the start of the French Revolution. Napoleon was exiled to Elba, where he was allowed to retain his title of emperor, and he attempted to end his own life. But due to the poison being expired, he did not complete the attempt. Now that we have this background, let's get to the main point of our episode, a time simply known as the Hundred Days. The conduct of the Bourbons and their supporters quickly turned the people and perhaps more importantly to holding on to power, the army, against the restored monarchy. So when Napoleon left Elba to reclaim his throne on February 26th of 1815, a mere ten months after he abdicated his throne, he was welcomed with open arms when his 
1,026 men landed at Cannes. This panicked the coalition partners who were meeting in Vienna to determine the future of Europe. What made it worse for them was that whenever Louis XVIII, the new king of France, sent an army to stop Napoleon, they would simply join him. Louis saw the writing on the wall and fled to the Netherlands. Napoleon would then march into Paris virtually unopposed and and welcomed back by the people. The now 7th coalition would not stand for this, and despite Napoleon trying to avoid war, at least for a time, by saying he only wanted the throne of France back and would respect the current boundaries of France, declared war on Napoleon and began to mobilize and move their troops for an invasion. This left Napoleon with two options. He could prepare France's defenses and wait for the coalition to gather its forces and attack. Or, he could try to strike quickly while only the British and Prussian forces were ready for war, and try to knock the coalition out before the war could really get started. Napoleon opted for the latter, hoping to secure an ally in Belgium, which was currently occupied by the Netherlands, drive the British back off the continent, and hopefully force a change in government from the ever-hostile Tories to the peace-favoring Whig party, and forcing a Prussia on the verge of bankruptcy to sue for peace. This would likely lead to a quick end to the war. So on June 15th, Napoleon would attack into Dutch Belgium toward the Prussian positions in the east. This would catch the British commander, Arthur Wellesley, the Duke of Wellington, off guard due to his spies telling him Napoleon would not attack until July 1st at the earliest. This allowed Napoleon and his forces to take Charleroi without a fight. Napoleon would then send one of his marshals, Michel Ney, to push up towards Brussels and the British. The next day, Napoleon would engage and defeat Garibald von Blücher and his Prussian forces at the Battle of Ligny, while Ney would engage Wellington at Quatre Bras, losing but preventing him from reinforcing Blücher. Two days later, Napoleon and Ney would join their forces and engage Wellington for what would prove to be Napoleon's last battle at Waterloo. The Battle of Waterloo would begin around 11.30 a.m. with cavalry skirmishes on the French right as forces under Napoleon's brother Jerome and Hippot de Rosnivien de Pierre attacked the complex of Hougoumont, which would hold for the whole battle and hold up a decent portion of the French troops. About an hour into the battle, Napoleon learned from a captured Prussian 
that the Prussians under Blucher were on the way to reinforce Wellington, which gave him an added urgency. And so he ordered a major attack on the Allied left center. During the attack, the British forces held, including most famously at a farmhouse called La Haine Sainte. Napoleon had to race against time before Blucher arrived and launched a second offensive around 4 p.m. after learning the Prussians would arrive behind him and knowing that he needed the British to break now. However, things would not work out for the emperor as the British would hold long enough for the Prussians to arrive. The French would be the ones to break, and the Allies would claim the victory. The battle would have heavy casualties, with the French suffering 33,000 casualties, and the Allies suffering 27,000 casualties, with around 7,000 horses lost between the two sides. The battle would basically end Napoleon's return to power. He quickly made his way to Paris to try to raise another army, but failed to do so as both the legislature and people had turned against him. He abdicated the throne in favor of his son, Napoleon II, on June 22nd and fled eventually being captured on July 15th. Once again, the Bourbons would be restored, and this time the coalition would take no chances of Napoleon returning and banished him to the remote South Atlantic island of St. Helena, where he would die of stomach cancer on May 5th, 1821. Napoleon's impact cannot be understated as he instituted reforms in the civic and educational realms, popularized the metric system, ended the 844 continuous years of the Holy Roman Empire, began the unifications of Germany and Italy, spread nationalist sentiments to Latin America, which would lead to the independence for many of the Spanish colonies and helped the U.S. to expand westwards by selling the Louisiana Territory to the United States. And although his nephew would rule France from 1848 to 1870, his dynasty would not be a major player outside of that. But what if the Bonapartes became one of the major dynasties of Europe? What if Napoleon had been able to solidify his place on the French throne with a victory that day at Waterloo? That is what we will explore this season on the Alternate History Class podcast.
Thank you for listening to the Alternate History Class Podcast. If you'd like to give any feedback you have, feel free to reach out via Twitter at AltHisClassPod or email the show at AltHisClass at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow the show on your preferred podcasting so you don't miss an episode when it goes live. If you are able and want to help the show financially, you can support the show on Patreon. Just search for Alternate History Class or use the link in the description of this episode. If you can't support the show financially, that's fine. Feel free to share the show with someone you think will enjoy it. And finally, Thank you for your most important contribution, your time. And I'll see you next time as we journey down the path, not 